And it all comes down to this. Two on, two out. Bottom of the ninth, the Farmers lead by one. Full count. Here comes the play at the plate, and it's the Agview pitch! Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Agview pitch, and we are heading into another new week of 2020, and we're getting into February, and that spells the beginning of the discovery period for crop insurance. So we'll get into that and a few other things here today. How are you doing today, Dwayne? Uh, good, Chris. I'm uh, anxious to start a new month. Hope it finishes and performs better than how we finished the last month off. And uh, kind of looking forward to a Kansas City Chiefs victory tonight. Yeah, well, we'll see what happens. I guess, you know, when people are listening to this on Monday or Tuesday or during the week, they're going to be a lot smarter than we are when we're recording this. But we got a lot to talk about, I think, as we... Uh, work through this this uh, first week of February and and one of the things that I want to start out with is just kind of what the markets did during the month of January we kind of didn't see much happen but there was a lot going on I mean we had all kinds of things both I think on the positive side and on the negative side but it really didn't didn't show us much much in the month of January so you want to talk to that a little bit and then we can kind of you know, talk a little bit about what, what February might spell for us. Okay. Um, let's just look at January and what happened in January. And the uh, focus of what happened in January is different for each market that we look at. For that example, what I'm going to talk about and say January regarding corn will be different than wheat and different than beans and actually by quite a bit. I think the, the, um, most important thing that happened uh, during January in corn was that in reality, nothing happened. We maintained a very narrow range that we've been in basically since the 1st of November. And that range has probably been defined as being, you know, uh, 15 cents or so. And most of that time spent over the last three months has probably been in, in about 10 cents of that range. Um, Last week was kind of a good example. You know, the week prior, you had made a new high settlement um, since uh, uh, no, early November. And then last week was a down week on the panic associated with the coronavirus. And but if you look at last week it, as a snapshot of corn, um, the week's low was made in the early um, part of Monday morning. And we settled Friday about a penny higher than where we settled on Monday. So after you had the initial push down on Monday, prices traversed sideways despite, you know, a, a daily panic associated with coronavirus. So I would say corn market hasn't done anything. Cash basis has stayed firm throughout that. Um, late last week, you were starting to see some pushes return to some of the cash buyers that they were offering trying to get corn to move. Um, the other thing that I do think was important that happened in corn uh, was what the corn spreads have done since the 16th of January. March versus December has seen March gain outperform December by nine cents. Typically, uh, the direction those spreads are moving um, mirrors what the direction the flat price is doing. And while the flat price is you know, traversing sideways here, the fact that the spreads have tightened in the last two weeks um, and the fact that the settlement on that spread on Friday uh, in the thick of the uh, Dow meltdown and, and just paying 
panic associated with that coronavirus, that spread, you have to go back to uh, um, early uh, November to find a settlement uh, better than where that spread settled on Friday. To me, that is foundationally a supportive factor for the corn. As far as beans are concerned, um, they didn't have anything nearly as constructive to talk about in how they performed in January. Or the, uh, the high of the month, I believe, was occurred on the second day of January, and the low of the month occurred on the last day of the month, and the difference between all that was almost 90 cents. So the soybean market performed very, very poorly and um, had you know, the emotion and the panic on Friday associated with the news. Every chart point that a, that a bull could look at for a stop point has been violated. We basically retraced all the way back down to our spring lows. Um, in the, caught up in that mix, the combination of what beans did and what corn's done, you've got uh, the price relationship is, is, uh, has beans very cheap. So it's, it's been a, a very, very ugly performance in beans for the month of January. Uh, the only thing good to say about that is it's going to be very difficult to build upon that weakness, I think, in the coming days or weeks or probably over the next few months. As far as wheat is concerned, uh, that market got to a level where it made probably a relatively long-lasting peak. Um, we got to levels with wheat um, spread relationship versus uh, corn that called for a top, the technical conditions call, called for a top. We've seen prices decline in the last couple of weeks. We're probably 30 or 40 cents off the highs. That might be enough on the short term. But probably the most important thing to say about wheat regarding the month of January is it probably defines the upper side of price potential over the next few months, at least for wheat. So um, each each market had some different type of characteristic that I thought was, you know, dominant and uh, in, in representative of what that month meant for each of them. So that's what I see for the month of January. So that's a great recap for January and kind of the why behind the what happened. Um, as we go into February, you know, for the three crops you just described, I mean, is, you know, there's, a, there's, a, there's obviously some headwinds, you know, you got the South American crop, you've got still probably, probably the coronavirus, you've got the China discussion and are they buying anything or are they not? And it just seems like the market just likes to have a negative tone to the to the narrative all the time uh, what's your take on that and, and kind of what's your outlook as we go into February well your statement that the market has a negative bias certainly isn't because you're paranoid it is an absolute fact and we've been uh, functioning in that mode for what feels like a long time on a on a bigger macro level and it's probably been on a pretty consistent level since um, you know, early 2018 when the U.S.-China trade war was, you know, unfolding. And the only exception to that would have been last summer when we uh, felt that we were dealing with a, a weather and crop situation that felt almost biblical. I mean, other than that, it, it has been something that's uh, always had a negative bias. I don't know how long that will continue, um, but despite that negative bias that you just described, which I think was an accurate description. You know, I think there are interesting developments that if we take a step back view and get our forehead off the microscope, 
I think that uh, we find that the prices have been, you know, gradually experiencing a higher bottoms type of approach here that you actually could probably go back and say that's been going on since 2016. So it depends what perspective we're looking at things from. Okay. So if we dial into, you know, and we can start with old crop, but I want to ask you a couple of questions and, and just see kind of what you're thinking on old crop, you know, basis has been really strong and, you know, especially when we see the market under pressure, the basis just continues to get stronger. We saw some pretty interesting emails from clients that they were getting from from processors needing grain and some pretty aggressive individual, um, you know, opportunities, I think, to move on really good basis. What's your thought there? I mean, do we do we stick around and and hold off and not deliver under those strong bases, or do we go ahead and take advantage of that and reown that that stuff, you know, so that we can capture some upside? Or what's your thought there? Well, basis in in corn has been very strong right at the present moment. I don't know what it's going to take to weaken that. I don't see that weak. I don't see the basis weakening any time between between now and um, uh, let's just say mid May. And the one exception that I might add to that would be if somehow we managed to get a fairly dramatic futures rally. And, and my definition of that would probably mean 30, 40, 50 cents. If you were able to get that type of a futures rally, that might be enough to cause basis levels to weaken because farmers are generally discouraged and frustrated and feeling under a lot of pressure and given that type of a price rally, almost regardless of what the storyline was as to why it was rallying, I think the farmer would be unleashing uh, bushels and the pipeline might get, you know, um, satisfied toward the point where basis could weaken. The uh, flip side to that comment is that if there really was a reason for corn to go up 30, 40 or 50 cents, it would most likely be tied to Chinese purchases. And if that was the case, you know, then do you all of a sudden have more purchases in the for the in the cash uh, trading circle that causes other buyers to panic about their ability to get that physical supply? And it becomes a race that's that's uh, played out in that cash market. And does that offset some of that? I don't know. But that those are questions that are legitimate. And so on the one hand, you know, I can see basis weakening if we got a big futures rally, but when you dive in and you, you anticipate why would there be a futures rally if it happened, it's probably associated with Chinese demand. And therefore that might negate the whole idea of, of being of basis weakening. So at the end of the day, I find no incentive to give up physical ownership unless you are forced to because you want to take out the centers of bends, you're concerned about the quality, or because uh, you, you want to generate cash flow or things of this nature. Those factors enter in, then those factors are more important than any marketed opinion. And you go ahead and you move the grain and you are thankful that the basis was very good. And if you want to reown it, um, you, you can make that decision separately. But independent, you know, for a decision on basis, just because I see no reason to give up the physical ownership. 
Okay. Um, good information. Let, let's go to new crop for a minute. And we talked about it at the beginning, or I mentioned we're, we're in the month of February. We're in that discovery period for the spring insurance price. And I know last week we talked and you weren't real enthused about making any sales, you know, until we get that number and kind of see where we're at with that number. Um, any comments on going through February and watching that and what we should be thinking about on new crop marketing or discussion points there? Well, um, no change in that overall view. I see no pressure to make any new crop sales uh, until we see that crop insurance uh, price. I don't think anything happened in price action last week to change that view. It is correct that with the spreads tightening, as I described, that's allowed Deese corn to weaken some, but I would offer this as a crutch. Um, since uh, 2002, there's only been one time that during the whatever the price high has been between uh, December and uh, the end of February. So, so that basically means that since 2002, during the window in which you are establishing this February spring price, there's only been one year that you weren't offered a better price than anything offered in that Deese through February period. You've always been offered a chance to sell above the highest in that range sometime after March 1st. The exception of that comment since 2002 was 2013, and that's when, you know, prices were still, you know, in a, in a uh, uh, I guess, a decline, so to speak, from 2012. So I think the odds uh, are quite good to suggest that this is not a time frame to panic and force new crop sales based on that statistic. The other thing that I would say is um, the current Friday settlement on Deese corn was, uh, I mean, I got to look at it up. It was uh, 390 and uh, three quarters. Okay. The crop insurance over the last few years was $4 last year, 396 the year before, 396 before that and 386 in 2016. And then you got to go back to in order to end in order to find a price lower than where it is Friday at 390 and 3 quarters, you got to go all the way back to 2006. So again, if you look at it from a historical perspective, where's the pressure to make a sale here at 390 and 3 quarters when since 2006 <clears throat> Every year, but one, you could do a better price than that. Um, so I'm not. That's another reason I'm not motivated. I prefer just to wait. I also think, and this is a little bit of a, it's not a conspiracy. Um, it's just a way of looking at things differently um, and recognizing there are entities out there that have a lot of influence on policy and things of this nature, and. If you're in the banking industry and you're the lender, you, you know, this spring uh, price has a lot of influence on how comfortable you are with your uh, farm uh, loan portfolios. And uh, with prices as of Friday's settlement, you know, all but one year being the worst since uh, 2007, 
um, and knowing that farmers are facing tight margins, a drawdown in uh, equity, and coming off a year that despite what USDA might say, when farmers go to the, the bank and they calculate their own yields, many, many producers had yields far below what they've had the last few years, which greatly has uh, negatively impacted their balance sheet. And that's why uh, lenders are in a um, very concerning type of mood right now. So with that as the backdrop, you know, there are there's pressure at the Fed level to uh, want to see this spring uh, insurance price better than what it is. I would not underestimate that uh, backdrop as having the ability to have some influence on the price discovery system to try to improve that. If that statement is true, during the month of February, we're going to have 19 trading days to, to establish these spring insurance prices. And assuming, let's just say you were steady on Monday and started that 19 days out with a settlement at 390 and three quarters. And if you spent the next 10 days, therefore two weeks, struggling to get back to $4, and let's say you didn't get back to $4, you can't even get to $4 unless you have pretty dramatic strength later in the month. So if there is pressure to get that price up, you know, they can't wait to the last five days of the month to do it because it's, it's based on an average of those 19 days. So um, I just wonder, I throw that out there because I think it's uh, possible that there's going to be a, a lot of pressure put on from influential sources to see that price get higher. And um, that would be another reason that I would not panic with the sale here. So that's kind of my viewpoint on that crop insurance price. And I think it's very, very important for the farmer. Uh, it's very important for his acreage decision. It's very important for his financial balance sheet. It's very important to the lender. And it's very important to the overall, you know, psychology of the entire ag community. And uh, so the month of February here should not be underestimated in its importance uh, with this uh, atmosphere that we're dealing with. Well, it's kind of like you said, you know, the, the price discovery is always interesting. You get about halfway through the month and, and the, the number's not going to deviate a huge amount from that. It's kind of like if your kids are in school and they're, they start out with a C, it's almost impossible to ever get to an A, you know, and conversely, if you start out with an A, it can go the other way, but you know, it, you, you, you gotta, you know, you kind of got to see where this is added about halfway through and it starts really giving you an idea for sure. Uh, exactly. So if, if there's any merit to the storyline I just laid out there, then it would imply that very, very quickly we're going to have to see that price start to improve. Um, otherwise, we will be stuck with yeah. the lowest price we've had on crop insurance for a long, long time. And this is certainly not a good year for that to happen. No, it's not. There's definitely a lot of pressure out here on everybody, that's for sure. So it's going to be interesting and something we're going to have to watch really close next couple of weeks. And we talked about it last week, and we'll do this yet at some point. We need to have a conversation more specifically on the crop insurance, but we'll be smarter on what the crop insurance impact and, and um, risk mitigation value that's going to come from that here in another couple of weeks for sure.
Anything else that um, we haven't touched on? Um, obviously, you know, we're anticipating hopefully China to do something, but there's never a guarantee there. I mean, they're supposed to be right, but, you know, the market, you know, prove it to me before before we're going to have any anything. And it seems like whenever we've done anything that should have been positive to the market, it hasn't really done much. Any other comments on anything there? Well, I want to come back and talk about the uh, China thing that you just kind of touched on. But before I do that, um, in the same spirit of having this discussion about the importance of the spring price, the February price for crop insurance, um, all we've talked about is corn. I think that it's important to throw a a little bit of conversation here about the beans in regards to that, because... Right now, if you were to pull up a spread chart of beans versus corn, and if you were to focus only on that relationship, uh, let's say during the months of January and February, you know, which we were setting that price of that insurance in February, and this time frame, this January, February time frame, specifically February, has a lot of influence on farmers and how they make their acreage decision. And with the lender in the mood that they're in and the, the backdrop that, of pressures that you have there, you know, there's there's a lot of, of uh, pressure to find the most profitable crop. And um, during this January, February timeframe, current values of beans versus corn, you have to go back to 2006 to find a time where soybeans were this cheap versus corn. So every single Midwestern farmer that deals in a 50-50 rotation or makes that corn-soybean rotation uh, decision on an annual basis, he's looking at the worst economics for his beans that he's seen in a long time. And we're coming off a year where carryout went from a billion bushels down to 470 million, and it was expected to be a billion this year that we're in now, but it's going to be 470. And you need six to eight million acres more than last year just to hold carryout unchanged at 470. And that's not even factoring any possible increase in demand based on uh, uh, on China's you know, in potential to increase more purchases from the U.S. because of phase one. So we're not even addressing that part of it. Now, most private estimates think that we'll have no problem getting those bean acres, and maybe they're correct, but they're, they're, if they get them, they're not going to get them because the farmer is so exceedingly happy about the profit opportunity offered in beans. It's not going to come for that reason. And to the, it is possible that during this month of February, the soybean market may feel compelled to play a role in this price discovery system that says, wait a minute, maybe we need to do something to ensure we get the acres that we need. And uh, that's another reason that beans are so, you know, so much undervalued at current prices and how last week's panic sell-off has produced very cheap prices from a historical and a relationship perspective. And I'm going to use that as a lead-in to go back to this comment you were talking about on on China. Um, people forget or don't realize or uh, you know probably find it hard to believe but China's soybean imports during the calendar year of 2019 
than was greater than it was in 2018. And we do not have a problem with uh, protein demand in the world. We, uh, uh, if China's imports were more in 19 than they were in 18, despite the trade deal situation, despite uh, African uh, swine uh, fever, then, and despite the fact that everybody talking about their their uh, pork or pig herd down so dramatically, you know, you heard percentages all over the map on that. I don't know exactly what is most factual, but it was down significantly, and yet their demand was actually up. There's all kinds of private sources that will tell you that um, their pork production is already on the rise and have been up, has been on the rise for a period of time. Maybe that's what this demand outlook is. I don't know. But um, China has a history of being a very good, exceptional trader in, in the uh, uh, global trade arena, and they have had that uh, reputation for hundreds of years. And they signed this phase one deal on January 15th. They spend the next two weeks not buying anything. And during that time, prices decline. And then last week, with the help of uh, all things coronavirus um, and concerns about economic activity in China in general, the ocean freight uh, price evaluation which is always has a history of being impacted by uh, economic trends or expectations, it d declined by a sizable percentage last week and over the last couple of weeks because of, of concerns that trade losses or econ economic losses in China, okay? And if, if that's the case, China's got a benefit from soybean prices declining, They've got a benefit from corn prices declining, wheat prices declining, and now to add uh, a little Hershey syrup to the ice cream, they got uh, freight, uh, freight values to drop considerably in the last week. They have all kinds of incentives that they're looking at right now that gives them a net uh, delivered price of U.S. agricultural goods to their shores at a sizable discount to where it was uh, January 15th. So I throw that out there to ask the question, you know, is it possible that China's absence and, and silence since January 15th may have been something they planned to do all the way in their entire run-up to January 15th, knowing that they would, would go dark for the next couple of weeks and figured that would get them an, a buying opportunity? I don't know, but it's certainly not unreasonable to think that they would have already thought that through long before January 15th. And whether they thought about it or not, the results of what has happened since January 15th are a reality. And that reality is they're getting some very, very good bargain price opportunities here. And uh, it would be foolish to, to uh, uh, pass that off as being unimportant and not possibly having an influence to what might happen here in the near future. So I'll throw that out. Gotcha. That's all good, good topics of discussion. And I think as we go into this month, it's going to be interesting. Is there anything else we haven't talked about? I mean, I know this week as, as we're starting a new month, um, anything else I haven't asked questions on that I should be bringing up that you know about that I'm not asking. 
Um, no, I don't think so. But the main thing that's on everybody's uh, focus right now is is the headlines we're inundated with 24-7 about the coronavirus and the fears associated with that affecting agricultural markets. Um, I said last week, and I've said all week, and I'll say it right now again, I think there is zero negative influence to global agricultural demand based on, on this virus. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm a nobody, but the ADM uh, CEO uh, said basically the same thing uh, this past week. So um, I don't think producers should be overly concerned about that. I think we should look at the reaction the marketplace has given to it as being unwarranted, probably exaggerated. And I think that with the stock market down 600 points on Friday and corn closed higher and beans were only down three and a half cents, I think that is a strong indication that whatever influence there is between um, our price discovery system and the coronavirus, whatever that relationship is or has been or should be, whatever it is, it's diminishing its effect. If you can have the Dow down 600 points on Friday and the grain market really not care. And uh, I think that was constructive. I would imagine there's a lot of people that are, will look for the Sunday night trade to be lower because this virus news is still in the, in the, in the headlines. I would take the other approach. I think there's a good chance that we actually open higher Sunday night. And I think that whether, regardless of what the opening is, I think there's a strong chance that we see prices uh, try to uh, stage some recoveries this week. And um, hopefully um, some saner minds will prevail and we'll see some price uh, improvement here. Ideally, what the market needs and what everybody wants to see is they want to see some announcement of, of, of Chinese sales. You know, nobody knows when that's going to come, but um, uh, that's what everybody wants to see. So I would caution people not to get overly concerned or wrapped up with this coronavirus and the fears of how it might affect the grain markets, because whatever it is, it's going to be short lived and there's probably no fundamental basis to it or merit to it. And there's a good chance that we've already um, greatly exaggerated its influence on the prices as, as we speak. Well, thanks for the uh, conversation. You know, um, I think we're going to get smarter as we get into the week. And like I said, you know, we'll have to have a conversation on the value of the insurance and that kind of thing, but we're probably a couple of weeks away from that. So I think it's a good conversation to, uh, today, Dwayne, and look forward to uh, chatting next week and kind of see what happens uh, in the first part of this price discovery. All right. Thanks, Chris. Everybody have a great week. Yep. Thanks a lot, Dwayne. And uh, we'll look forward to talking to you next week. And thanks everybody for listening. And we'll catch you again next time on the AgView Pitch. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of the AgView Pitch. As always, you can reach out to us at cbaron at agviewsolutions.com or Dwayne L at netends.net. We'll catch you next time on the AgView Pitch.